Okay, if my eldest son could find this chair, that'd be great. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to start. Yeah, <laughs> only messing around. Right, okay, so I'm going to... No, no, no. Okay. Any issues? Use the hand. Okay. I'll teach me. Okay, so I'm going to just read the Bible passages that are relevant today, and I think they're going to come up on the screen as well. Maybe? That's okay. So the first one is from Matthew 16, verses 16 to 18. Simon Peter said, You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of a book or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I am going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on whom I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against it. And then in Luke 22, verses 31 to 34, Simon, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I have prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out when you have come through the time of testing. Turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. And then in Matthew 26, 69 to 75. All this time, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. One servant girl came up to him and said, you were with Jesus, the Galilean. In front of everyone there, he denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. As he moved over towards the gate, someone else said to the people there, this man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. Again, he denied it, salting his denial with an oath. I swear I never laid eyes on that man. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and swore, I don't know the man. Just then a rooster crowed. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and cried and cried and cried. And John 21, verse 17. Jesus asked Simon a third time, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. I'm just going to repeat a few of the words that we read this morning. And now I'm going to tell you, Peter, who you really are, a rock. I have prayed for you in particular that you do not give in or give out when you have come through the time of testing. Turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Hoping the, the Brittany mic is going to work here. Okay. 
First time I've ever worn the Britney mic. I feel like I need to break out in some choreographed dance here and lead you on it. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. My name's Campbell. I'm married to Kerry. This is Jacob and Lucy, my children. Benjamin's here. We've been coming to Redeemer for uh, a good while. It's really lovely to be with you this morning. Lovely to see some really friendly faces and here with me today, so it's great. That makes it feel a bit easier. Um, okay, thank you for that reading, Kerry. So let me start with this. My dad was a, a PE teacher. He was one of those people who was just sort of naturally gifted at sport, um, just really had great hand-eye coordination. He was just a bit of a natural. Um, and I really got my love of sport from my dad. And it's just something you sort of absorb, really. Um, sport was always a, a very important thing in our family. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, sport was revered. That's maybe too strong a word, but it was really held in very high esteem, so it's kind of been important. Um, and maybe if we, if we put up the... If you'd be good enough, Mark, to put up this first picture. Um, okay, so if we have a look at this picture, there, there is a Mulholland in this picture. I don't know whether you can work out where I am. I'll give you a clue. I'm not the guy in the back row with the moustache. <laughs> can you, could you maybe work out any guesses? Okay, well, I'm beside the guy with the moustache, okay? That's me in the back left, okay? So this is the Cloan Primary School team, 1980. Um, just for people who follow football, this is the Derby County away strip. Um, I think there was, a, there was a job lot going that year and we got a bargain. Okay. So, <laughs> so let's, let's, this team got to the quarterfinal of the Belfast Telegraph Schools Cup, okay? So respect, okay? We could, we, could, we could play a bit. We could play a bit. And this year, I was, I was footballer of the year, okay? So, and the guy here beside me here, Mrs. Mr. Stewart, he was a great teacher. He put me into the team in P5, made my, Hilden, made my debut against Hilden. Uh, it was a great moment, okay? It was a proud moment. So listen, sport's important to me. I've always found sport to be kind of courageous, a bit heroic, um, always been a source of inspiration, which we will come back to. Okay, we'll come back to. So, um, Just going back a little bit, so the Mulholland's been coming to Redeemer for a long time. There was quite a few years ago, I was sitting up on that balcony. I remember very well. Um, I came along here and I heard a, a sermon and it was called, it was entitled Breakfast on the Beach. And it was from this lovely little passage in the end of John's Gospel, beautiful little kind of epilogue at the end of John's Gospel, John 21. You may know it well. Um, and it was the story of um, sort of um, where uh, Jesus cooks bread and fish for the, the disciples after the resurrection on the beach. And I heard something in that sermon that day that just had never really dawned on me. Um, I guess after having been a Christian for a lot of years and grown up in church and that sort of thing. But what it was, was that there was welcome and there was acceptance and they ate together. And that was before, this is the point, that was before anything was sorted out. That was before forgiveness. 
So there was just welcome. And that, I just thought, was very powerful. And I can tell you, that was the most, it felt like the most encouraging thing that I had heard in a long time, a long time. It just felt like a lovely little kind of warm story of welcome. And that is really where I want to start today. I want us to start from that place of welcome. And so really what I'm saying to you is that um, you're welcome here. You're welcome here this morning. And you're welcome, and the reason you're welcome is because you're important and you're significant as a person. And that's just because you are who you are, okay? You're a significant person. You're made in God's image, and you are important. And so you're welcome. And the other reason you're welcome is that Jesus is our host, um, and he is compassionate, and he's more loving, and he's more gracious than we could really imagine. Um, so, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. I mean, these last couple of years, we've sort of been navigating COVID. It feels to me like after COVID, the last thing the world needed was a war in Ukraine, which is what's happened. We've got monkeypox. We've got a looming cost of living crisis. There's no government instalment. I could go on. I'm not going to. It feels to me, I don't know whether I'm alone in this, it feels to me like we could really do with some encouragement. Yeah, we could do with some encouragement. So look, when Dave asked me to speak this morning, I think he said something like, you know, bring your best preach, Campbell. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Uh, that, that maybe assumes I've got some large back catalogue of hit sermons. <laughs> You know, like, like, sort of like you're thinking Paul McCartney at Glastonbury here. I've just got to kind of, you know, wean them down, you know. And look, I don't mean to disappoint you. I don't have a back catalogue. Um, you know, I don't even have a little microwave special that I can heat up just to serve to you, okay? But for me then, I thought back to that sermon, okay? Because that was a place of encouragement for me. And so that's where I wanted to start, and so I thought, you know, together this morning, we would re retrace some of that story. We would look at the background, um, maybe a broader context of Peter's life, okay? And, and also think about the broader context of our life here together in Redeemer now. Um, and just think about maybe what is in this story for us now, okay? And that's, this has kind of been percolating with me for, for a while. Um, so, so let's think about that. So I've kind of tried to piece this story together as it happens, and um, I'm really hoping that um, all the right words come out, and I'm really hoping that they all sort of come out in the right order. Um, so what I thought we would do um, is I thought we would use some pictures. Um, and, you know, when you look at Peter's life, there's so much happening, okay? So all we can do is really look at some highlights, you know, some little snapshots of, of his journey with Jesus. Um, and so, pictures. Why pictures? Well, first thing is pictures are worth a thousand words. So that's going to save you listening to me as much. Um, and the other really interesting thing here is I think let's. I think artists have loads to bring. Okay, artists. The artist has a lot to bring to this story. So let's look at what, how artists have imagined Peter. And there's no shortage of pictures of Peter in classic art. Um, so I thought we would look at some of that. 
So, um, first picture here, which we'll get to. Um, let's think about Peter just generally. So, who was Peter? Peter was a fisherman who was working on the Sea of Galilee at that time, a contemporary of Jesus. Now, there, if you look at the Bible, I thought this was interesting. There are 67 verses in the Gospels uh, which are related to Peter, 67. There are 200 mentions of Peter in the Bible. The nearest disciple is John. And he's got 29 mentions. So Peter's an important figure in anybody's book. Um, so at this time, Jesus had lots of people who were curious about him. Um, you might say admirers. Um, and indeed, for long periods of time, large groups of people followed Jesus and his ministry. But Jesus appointed 12. And among that 12, you probably might say there was an inner circle of three. So you've got Peter, James, and John. And, and why do I say that? Well, when you read it, there are three um, sort of events that kind of bring that out. So there's the, Jairus' daughter is healed, the Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and, and that makes sense. You know, in those really important moments, um, Jesus wanted his most trusted people around him. Peter was the kind of the spokesman for the group. He was the de facto leader. And this is interesting. No one was praised more by Jesus. Um, no one was rebuked more by Jesus. No one argued more than Peter with Jesus. Um, Peter is someone who makes mistakes. You know, and I don't know about you, but I find Peter relatable for that reason. Because I make mistakes, and I guess you make mistakes too. So we can relate to Peter. He's impulsive. He's a bit tempestuous, a bit erratic. Uh, he's prone to outbursts. Of, he, he speaks quickly, sometimes without thinking it through. Do you ever do that yourself? <laughs> but most of all, if we think about Peter, when I was thinking about a word which describes Peter best, I think the word that describes Peter best is that he was involved, okay? Peter was pretty much in the thick of it, okay? He didn't stand on the sidelines. He got kind of stuck in there, okay? And when we look at those things, that's the sort of raw material of the person who was Peter, that's what Jesus was working with, all right? Now, if we maybe bring up this. Um, so, yeah, no, no, sorry, flick back. Okay, good. So, this is, uh, this, this is an old painting, I think it's sort of 1300s. Um, it's an old image of the calling, if we want to call it this. And um, Ben was really kind of uh, talking about this last day. Um, so I was kind of looking at this image and thinking, you know, at this point, you know, Jesus is calling disciples, there's some excitement, there's some anticipation, particularly when we think about what Ben was talking about last day, about you know, that kind of whole experience of the kind of on-stage life with Jesus and the, the, the backroom moments, okay, so all this was to come. So I thought this was a good slide to, to start with because I want to think about the place, the place of the ministry, and I also want to think a little bit about the cast, the kind of main players, okay. So if we think about the place here on the Sea of Galilee, um, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's the deepest uh, freshwater lake in the world. Um, 
It is 13 miles long, north to south. It's seven and a half miles wide, east to west. Thought to be about 60 meters deep. Now, you will know, if you've read the Bible, what is the Sea of Galilee famous for? What we, what, when you think of the Sea of Galilee, what do you think? Well, the Sea of Galilee was famous for the fact that it had um, violent storms, okay? And to this day, that's still the case. And it's just to do with the geography of it, okay? The, the sea, the, the high winds come over the Golden Heights, whip up the sea, and very quickly, you can get into a kind of life-threatening situation. Um, so that's the Sea of Galilee for you. And when you think about what we're told in the Gospels, Jesus leaves Nazareth, he comes down to Capernaum, and Capernaum really becomes Jesus' hometown. Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. And when we think about the Sea of Galilee, you've got about half the miracles in, in the Gospels, and you've got um, about half the parables talked about in the Sea of Galilee, so very important place. Let's think about our, our cast here. Let's think about Peter's contemporaries. Um, so we've got Jesus, Peter, and his fellow disciples. Um, and I think, you know, when you think about any group of people, you're going to have some kind of, you can get strife, you can get a little bit of division, um, very different personalities, the disciples, okay? And each one of them burdened by their own limitations, just like us, just like us, okay? Um, you've got the sons of Zebedee, um, Jesus called them the, the, the uh, sons of thunder. You have got Simon the Zealot, who was totally opposed to the rule of Rome. You've got Matthew, who worked for Rome, okay, in the same team. Um, you've got Thomas, who, after the resurrection, completely called the whole thing into question, didn't he? He pretty much thought, you know, he was convinced this was some grand con trick. He's got, got this kind of range of disciples all through kind of full broad spectrum of human frailty. Um, and in this moment, in the calling, Jesus is calling them first to repentance and then to follow him. And there's something in that. We need to show that we're prepared to change if we're going to follow Jesus. Okay. And you know, reflecting on this, I'm thinking, you know, why, why fishermen? Why would he call fishermen? Well, one of the characteristics that makes a good fisherman is that number one, you're patient, and you've got to have a little bit of hope, haven't you? To, to, to be a decent fisherman, you've got to have patience, and you've got to have a bit of hope. Um, so the other thing about this, this particular slide is, you know, there's a lot of talk around, you know, the fact that Peter was able to almost like throw the two fish in the boat and just kind of leave, and it wasn't a big deal to him. And when you really look at what the scholars are writing about, that's not just simply not true. Being a fisherman in Galilee at that time was actually pretty lucrative. They had loads of markets out into the Roman Empire. Um, being a fisherman was actually more a mark of relative wealth than, than poverty. Okay, so we know from the gospel that Peter had a wife, he had a mother-in-law, he had a house. He was in business. But he left it, and he followed. And that, I think, is significant. So can we bring up the next one? Okay, so you'll know this story. And again, we're talking about the violent um, waves and winds on the, on the Sea of Galilee. We know this story. Um, so this is um, 
you know, Jesus walking in the water and, and Peter looks at him and he walks to him and he, he steps out in faith. And look, this is an important story for us. Anyone who has experienced uh, a moment where they have gone out of their comfort zone, where they've, they've set down a project and they've, they've really kind of gone out on a limb in faith, and then maybe things change, circumstances change, a little bit of fear sets in, and you're thinking, where is this going to end? Well, look, this story's, this story's for us, okay? This is significant. Um, if we can bring up the next one. So this is not a picture this time. If we just bring up the next slide. Yeah, this is not a picture. So this is really in this, this story that Carrie read us where Jesus confesses who, who Peter, or Peter confesses who Jesus is. And I thought this was a good thing to think about. So the confession Jesus is given by the Holy Spirit who Jesus really is. And the context of this story is that Jesus has, has preached a hard message. And it says in the Bible that um, the, the, the crowd, you know, no longer followed him. So, that, so there was a lot of people who left at that point. So this is the context of this. And Peter is really, you know, saying to Jesus, you know, you know I'm here for you. Um, so they, 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 he confesses who he is. And then, of course, Jesus tells him there's some sacrifice involved here, Peter. This is, I'm going up to Jerusalem. And Peter's saying, no, you're not. Get behind me, Satan. You know this story. So, so there's this kind of theme of, you know, loyalty being central to Peter. Um, he's saying, I'm still here. Um, I'm with you. Um, so, yes, the crowd are leaving. I thought this was interesting for us because, you know, really when Kierkegaard writes about this passage, he's kind of trying to bring out the fact that in, in the crowd, there are those who are admirers and that there are those who are followers. And he makes this distinction where he's saying, you know, what the difference is. The admirer never makes any true sacrifice. He always plays it safe. And I think, you know, there is this theme where Jesus is saying to Peter, look, follow me. This road's going to go through sacrifice. And you need to know that. If we just call up the next one. So I don't know any if you know this person. This is a guy called Abraham, Abraham Heschel. He's a kind of prolific writer. He, he would have been involved with Martin Luther King in the early civil rights marches. And he's really making the point here that, you know, let's not sell salvation too cheaply. Let's not disavow early decisions and come to realize that the religious existence is arduous and full of demands. So look at this theme at this point of sacrifice, okay, and that that's a requirement. Okay, if we just kind of go on, next one. Okay, now, I, I love this picture. Um, I don't know whether, whether you've seen this picture before. This is a, a guy called Ford Maddox Brown. Great name, isn't it? Ford Maddox Brown, okay. So if you want to impress your friends, okay, Ford Maddox Brown was in the Pre-Raphaelite School of Painting. Okay, that's a good one for a table quiz, that if it ever comes up, okay. He was in the pre-Raphaelites, okay, and this is, this is the um, washing of the feet, so this is just after the Last Supper, um, and you know, I just think the artist, what a talent. They've just caught Peter's mood, haven't they? You know, look, this is another argument that's just happened. Pete, Jesus is saying, look, I need to wash your feet. Peter's no, no, no terms. I need to wash your feet, and it's like, 
there's an argument going on, and I think in Ulster we'd say that, you know, Peter had a face like Lurgan Spade here. You know, he'd kind of consented. He consented to it, but he wasn't happy. And you can really see this. Um, and so, I think that this picture really says something. No, 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 Peter, this is how my kingdom works. Be a servant, and I'm showing you how. And look, in the story, there's not much time left. Jesus will soon be on the cross, and so he's really getting to what matters here. Be a servant. This, I'm showing you how to do it. This stuff matters, okay? Okay, let's move forward again a little bit further in the story. Okay, so this is by a, a Dutch artist who's, in my nervousness, name I've forgotten. Um, but I think it's a good painting, okay? Um, and this is the servant girl who's kind of, you know, saying to, to Peter, look, and you, were, you were with him. And it's just capturing that moment where, where Peter's afraid and he's, he's trying to really slip into the background and he's, he's witnessed the, the so-called trial of Jesus and the brutality of that. And he's afraid. He, he's really afraid in, in this moment and he's really just following Jesus at a distance, a safe distance, but he, he's really afraid, okay? Um, and so this is, this is the denial that we've read about. And there's a really interesting thing in Luke's gospel where on, on the third time when Jesus denies, Luke tells us that Jesus and Peter's eyes met. And I think that's really significant. And you sort of think like, what, what was in that look? You know, and we could say a lot, but I think ponder that. What was in that look, in that moment of the denial, okay? What we can say with total certainty is that Peter, after that, was, to say the least, very upset, okay? And if you look at, um, in the message, it says he cried and he cried and he cried. So if we bring up the next one, okay, this is sort of capturing how Peter feels just immediately after this. So in this kind of honor and shame culture, when Peter is denied, he's kind of brought shame on Jesus. Um, and this contrast with Jesus' trial where pretty much he told it straight and he told the truth, even though it was difficult. Okay, so we've talked about the scene of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. So let's just bring up the next slide, okay? So, so this, this place here is right beside what is called Peter's Beach and, and um, on the Sea of Galilee, okay? There's a church built here. So this is where this story is supposed to have happened. Um, and a few years back, they, they found this, this old fishing boat that dates back to this time of Jesus, and uh, they kind of carbon dated it, and they preserved it. And if we bring up the next slide, um, this is pretty much the recreation of what they reckoned Peter's boat was going to be like. So it helps us imagine this, doesn't it? This is the, the boat um, that he would have been in. Um, so Peter's gone... Peter's gone, after the resurrection, Peter's gone fishing, after the denial. If, Kerry's going to read this passage in a second, but just want you to take note of a few things before we read it. There's, there's seven disciples on the boat, okay? Five of them are named, but two of them are not named. So this is an invitation for us, folks. I want you to, when this is being read, I want you to imagine that the other two disciples are you and they're me. And we're going to kind of think through this and try and put ourselves in the scene. Okay, so Kerry's going to read this now and then we'll, we'll reflect on it. 
So this is John 21. Um, after this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, which is the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed Twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brother Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going out with you. They went out and got into the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, no. He said, throw the nets off the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did what he said. All of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and dived into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? For they knew it was the master. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. Thanks, Kerry. Okay. So... I hope your imagination was in that. Um, so, so let's reflect on that story. Let's imagine ourselves there. The disciples approach Jesus. The sun is rising. The embers of the charcoal are still burning. Jesus has prepared food. Means together are important. Jesus has already prepared the bread and fish. The disciples bring some of the fish they've caught. The disciples are welcome. Not long before this, they've all fled in fear. Now they're back together again. Now I think in anybody's book, this is kind of a, a poignant moment. Breakfast on the beach together. I think there's an excitement here, but I think there's also some nervousness at this moment. Now, they say that about 70% of communication is nonverbal. I see this every day in my job. I know how people are almost before they come in the treatment room. Often don't need to ask them. The way we carry ourselves kind of gives us away, doesn't it? And you know, it makes me think, how is Peter carrying himself in this moment? How did he look? I mean, you know, when you're down, your kind of shoulders are slumped. You know, I'm, I'm imagining that's how he is, okay? That's just how I see him. So, 
there's an elephant in the room here, even though they're under the stars and they're on the outside, there's, there's, there's just something. Peter's not right. The resurrection has happened, okay? In one sense, death is defeated. The kind of major act in God's redemption story, his mission to the, the universe has just happened. But Peter's not right. Can we have some imagination for how he is feeling just now? Um, can we even put any words to that? Um, you see, in this story, you'll already have picked up loyalty is a, 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 you know, a, such an important thing to Peter, isn't it? We already know that. It's totally central to who Peter is as a person, it's totally in his core. He, he's driven by this kind of drive for loyalty, isn't he? It really, really mattered to him. Um, so, just trying to understand how Peter's feeling. Okay, I personally couldn't really find words for this, but I was listening to this song, okay, and you're going to have to give me some poetic license here, okay? You're going to have to give me a little latitude, okay? So, I was listening to this song, and... It just seemed, do you know what? That, that, that's, I think that's where Peter's at, okay? Now, I can assure you that when this song was written, it wasn't written for this purpose. Um, but I think it says something, okay? So I'm going to read it to you, okay? And you can tell me if this is how Peter might be feeling. I, I think there's something in this that describes Peter and his situation at this moment, okay? So... We actually played it at the start. It's the piece of music you heard at the start, okay? It's by a band called Keen. Do you know them? Okay, so this is, this is the words. Okay, it says, Well, they said you were a bright child, never anything but joy behind your eyes. No sign of any dark clouds spreading like volcanic dust over your blue skies. Now they're looking for an answer. Where the rot set in and set up the landslide. But it only makes it worse now. You're like a puzzle to be worked out, and it's the voices in your head now, saying there's something wrong with the way I feel. A broken link, a missing part, a punctured wheel. And it's not what you expected, the way your head gets twisted, and you sit up all night trying to figure it out. And they say, you've made your bed now. Don't you see? You've brought it on yourself. And they say you should move on, but you can't even get your shoes on. And the voice is in your head now, saying, there's something wrong with the way I feel. I thought this described how Peter was feeling. And at 7 a.m. in the morning, I really doubted myself, folks. I thought, are you crowbarring this in, Campbell? Is this not appropriate? And so I looked this up, this song, and said, what, why is this written? What, what's, what's this actually about? And this is a song written by the, the um, keyboard player of the band. Who, unfortunately, this story describes a marriage split and the feelings of um, depression and afterwards when his life pretty much took a left turn, okay? And I thought, okay, that makes sense now. 
That totally makes sense. That's the human experience, isn't it? So where once you had sort of um, connection, you know, intimacy, trust, um, a, a bond that's unbreakable, okay? Maybe in a good marriage. And then, you know, something goes wrong. And what, what are you left with? You're left with separation, um, distance. And that, that's how you might feel. And I think Peter's feeling that now, okay? So there's a conversation that needs to happen, isn't there? An important conversation. Peter knows it. Jesus knows it. This is part of a, a big cosmic story, okay? I grant you that. But it's deeply, deeply personal, okay? When Jesus had said, I'm going to make you fishers of, of men, when he said in that beautiful passage, Peter, I called, you know, your name is Peter, and you're the rock, okay? Despite all the ups and downs, all the events, the failures, that promise, it's not been rescinded. Jesus didn't change his mind. He didn't withdraw it, okay? Peter will go on to win hearts for Jesus. He will go on to nurture the church. You know, I think Dave talked about this. He talked about Pentecost, where he speaks bravely. But at this moment, before that restoration, Peter can't do that. He's not in the position to do that. Not until that conversation. So perhaps Jesus is saying, if you've been, uh, if you've been forgiven, Peter, maybe you can forgive. Because of your mistakes, this is the key thing. Because of your mistakes, okay? And not in spite of them. Because of your mistakes. I think that's so important to know that. So we have three denials. We have three times you're required to say, I love you. What does this all mean for us here, guys, in Redeemer this morning? What, what does this story say? Okay, and I've been thinking about this, okay? And you can agree or disagree, but this is what's been percolating with me, okay? So... Um, what can we learn? Well, I think we can learn we can all have our Peter moments where we forget who we really are, okay? Peter was afraid. His faith was momentarily eclipsed. He watched all the brutality of what happened to Jesus, um, and he made a mistake. But what I'm going to say is don't write people off do not write people off, okay? Um, and look, I don't know what your experience of church culture is in your life, okay? Um, I, I would say that sometimes when people make a mistake in church life, I have seen it. I think sometimes they wander off, and I'm not sure that a lot of people necessarily go after them again, okay? So let's not write people off, okay? Look at the story, Peter went out fishing after the denial. The disciples didn't seem to have a problem with him. I, I wonder about that. Um, they suggested they would come with him. And I'm thinking, did they know Peter well enough that they knew he didn't, they didn't want him to be alone? Okay, there was work to do on the boat, but were they with him because they knew he needed that? Um, and just imagine, folks, imagine at this point if Peter had been thrown out of the church, 
okay? This central figure, if he'd been thrown out, you know, that's part of our story too. And, you know, let's not write people off. That's what I'm saying. Okay, now, in this church, God speaks to us in different ways, doesn't he? We've seen that, and it's lovely. You know, some of us get words of knowledge. Um, amen to that. We need more of that in these days, please. Um, some of us have dreams, um, and, it, and they bring them, and it's great. Amen to that. That's not been my experience, okay, up to this point. Um, where do I hear God's voice? I've heard God's voice in conversations. Um, important conversations can change the trajectory of a life. And, and um, you know, John alluded to this a few weeks ago when we talked about the power of words, okay? Our words can heal, they can build up, they can restore. We should be praying for these divine conversations, okay? Listen when they're happening. Speak into them if you can. Honest conversations require a significant level of trust. And you know what? Something. This is something I know. As you go on in life, as you get older, you realize that that is a rare thing. Okay? So if you don't have people who can do that for you, start praying for that. And this is not an advertisement for um, table groups, but maybe that's a, maybe that's a place. Maybe that's a place, folks, okay, where you can find that. So think about that. Um, so when I was preparing this, okay, um, I kind of thought I wanted to talk to you about conversations, and I just happened to be reading, um, there was an article, there's an article in this month's Wall Street Journal about conversations, and they've done this good piece, big piece of research, and probably, I'm going to read this to you, none of it probably should surprise you, but I thought it was interesting. The piece of research says that people who have more substantive conversations are happier, okay? Research shows deep conversations make us feel more connected to others and help us to understand one another. This month's Wall Street uh, Journal. I thought that was good. Okay, we're getting there, okay? How are you doing concentration-wise? You still with me? Okay, okay. Fleetwood Mac have, have a, a song which I love which, which says, Say You Love Me, okay? Now, from this passage, I would say in my experience is that I have learned that love is a doing word, okay? So look, if you want to ask yourself the question, how much do I love somebody? Ask yourself the question, how much would you do for that person? It's a pretty good barometer. Okay, so, but there's this kind of tension, isn't there, between the doing and the saying. Some of us have maybe grown up in homes where we know we're loved, but maybe you haven't been told it. So this is really interesting in the story. The Son of God, who is 100% God and 100% man, is asking his chief disciple, who's recently publicly denied him, do you love me? Now, I know, bigger, bigger story, okay, I get that. But I think Jesus is modeling something really important, which is almost so in your face in this that you could easily miss it. So, 
Words like, I'm sorry, I love you, are very important words to learn to say. For you and for the people who you live with closely, um, because like Peter, you're gonna mess up. I've got news for you folks, that's a given, okay. Uh, and sorry and I love you help rebuild and restore and love kind of, the words of love can help to cover a multitude of times, okay. Um, so what am I really saying? I'm saying you do love, but, but say it too. It's sort of both and. Now, if you live with the Mulholland's, you would know that we make lots of mistakes, okay? But one thing we do, try and do, is, is say it. And I hope Jacob doesn't mind me saying this, but Jacob has been traveling to and fro from London a lot recently, and you, you know the moment he's about to go on board because the text comes through, love you. So, look, I think that's good. Let's not be afraid to say it. If it's authentic, you know, if it's real, say it. Okay. Now, we talked about sport. This is the bit I really love, okay? So I want to, I want to talk to you about this because this just makes me smile. Um, so, do, does anybody know who this is? And just put your hands up, actually, if you would. Does, does anybody know? Nobody? Jacob knows. That makes sense. Jacob knows. Okay. So this is... This is a guy called Stephen McDonald. And I would say even Stephen, Stephen Donald, so I would say that even kind of ardent rugby fans don't sometimes even know who this guy is. Um, so why would I even mention a rugby player to you this morning? Um, I, I tried to make sure I wasn't doing anything heretical here, okay? So I kind of thought about the Bible and Paul talks about the athlete in the spiritual life, okay? We're in safe ground here, okay? Relax, and safe ground. So look, I think there are parallels, okay, between um, our life together in faith here in Redeemer, our corporate life together, and rugby, okay? Bear with me. Rugby's a contact sport, okay? People get hurt. Sometimes, by mistake, rugby players hurt people in their own team. Okay? It can happen. But most of all, why is rugby important? Rugby requires a cohesive effort to create enough momentum to get the ball over the line. Okay? Everyone's got a role. Everyone plays a part. And that's not even the people on the pitch. There's a backroom staff, there's a crowd who are cheering. They talk, in rugby, they talk about um, the crowd being the 16th man, okay? Home advantage is massive, okay? People who are egging you on and cheering you on, encouragement, it makes a difference, okay? So this is Stephen McDonald, or Stephen Donald, I should say. So he, this is a, he, he is a, a New Zealand rugby player. In New Zealand, when you're growing up, most boys dream of being an all-black. Rugby's like a religion in New Zealand. I had a patient who once told me that in New Zealand, no matter what's happening in the world, when the All Blacks play, it's the first item in the news. All right, and then they, get, they do the, the serious stuff first and then they get on to the other stuff. So this is Stephen, he was an All Black and this 
stories uh, takes place in the lead up to the 2011 World Cup. So, um, you got to remember this story. In this story, there's a guy called Dan Carter. Have any of you heard of Dan Carter? Dan Carter was pretty much the rock star of world rugby. He was the most valuable player. He he was just still one one of the all-time greats. And um, Stephen Donnell is fourth choice number 10 for the All Blacks, okay? And he's played in a couple of the warm-up games. And unfortunately, things just haven't gone so well for Stephen, okay? He's made a couple of very high-profile errors. And he gets dropped from the team. And the press are pretty much on his back now, okay? And if you bring up maybe the next couple of slides here, okay. So the press are on his back. He's released from the squad. And where does Stephen go? You're not going to believe this. He goes onto his fishing boat with his pals, okay? So he goes onto the fishing boat with the pals, and he, he, he literally um, deletes the coach's number because he just doesn't believe that he's going to get called up, okay? So that's fine. Stephen's off, and the World Cup starts, and there's this whole series of injuries, and each number 10 keeps getting injured. New Zealand get to the final, now, if we, uh, if we bring this up, so at this point, Stephen has almost become a bit of a figure of fun. So with this scenario where this satirical cartoonist is writing, you know, imagine the situation with full time upon us, the clock, with Cruden off, directly in front, Stephen Donnell was on an easy kick to win the World Cup from New Zealand. And Stephen's having a nightmare about this, okay? And his, his poor wife says, wake up, hon, you're having that nightmare again. So... Look, it's inconceivable that they would have to rely on Stephen in the World Cup final, but this becomes prophetic, of course, doesn't it? Because in the final, <laughs> with 20 minutes to go, Stephen Cruden gets injured, and um, he, he's called upon. And so he, he comes on with 20 minutes to go, the critical moment, kicks the penalty. Now, if you, if you, if you go back here, this is the moment, okay? Now, the thing I love about this slide is that Stephen has been out of training for a while. I think he's been having, he's been probably living it up a little bit. If you look, his shirt's too small for him, okay? His shirt is too small for him. And then this is the world of international rugby where just nothing's left a chance, okay? It's all so choreographed. Stephen turns up, his shirt's too small for him. He's out of training. I love this. This is magic. So good. So good, what a great story for us. So, look. Does he score it? Sorry, I should tell you that. <laughs> he puts it over, okay, goes through the posts. The score is now 8-7. New Zealand have eight, France have seven. Score remains the same for the last 20 minutes. New Zealand win the World Cup in Eden Park. Celebration, okay. So in the moment, it comes good. So I was thinking about this story, okay, as a way of small challenge, okay? You know, I just think there may be some Stephen Donalds in this church, okay? Maybe you've kind of written yourself off. You've lost the coach's number. Maybe you're out in your fishing boat, metaphorical terms. If your shirt's too small, if you're out of training, we don't care. This team here, we need you. We totally need you. And if you think I'm not talking to you, I'm absolutely talking to you, okay? This team needs you. The metaphor of rugby is good. We need to work cohesively together, okay? And that's important.
Okay. Right, last slide. We're back in this warm place of acceptance. Let's finish with Peter. Breakfast on the beach. Peter's now restored. What does Jesus say to him? After all the ups and downs of this, it's the same call he got when he called him. He says, follow me. And that's the message for us today. And the ups and the downs, follow me. Are you still with me, folks? Okay. Right. So I have a, I have a little um, prayer I want to lead you in, if that's okay. And then in a few minutes, Dan is going to come and lead us in communion together. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us as we've been reflecting on this stuff. Okay. Dear Lord, today we pray for a fresh start. When we have Peter moments, when we become afraid, when we forget who we really are, when our faith is completely eclipsed, I pray now that you would call us by our name, that you would lift up our heads, that you would look us in the eye, that you would reaffirm us now as your people, as your church in this place. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been less than we should have been. Restore us, Lord. May we then be able to strengthen our brothers and sisters. May we be in a position because of our weaknesses and not in spite of them to be able to give our companions a fresh start. May this church be a warm place for people like us who have failed and not a cold house. Lord, help us not discount, rule out, write off, or cancel ourselves. Let us not rule out, write off, or cancel other people. Help us to see them as you see them. Build up our expectations for divine conversations, special conversations anointed by your love, places of forgiveness, trust, and healing. May our lives know and experience conversations like that. Lord, show us the way of love in action in the doing, in the everyday practical, but if it is real and authentic to say that we love and our words are stuck, unblock them. May words of love flow. Help us to be givers and receivers of words of love as you so clearly modeled in this beautiful little passage in John 21. Lord, as Peter said, you know all things. You know us well. 
repair our broken links. Fill us now so that we are not full of missing pieces. Reinflate our punctured wheels and put us back on the road in the right direction. In the ups and the downs, in success and in failure, may we hear your call. That very same call that Peter heard around the campfire after you cooked him breakfast. Follow me. In your name we pray. Amen.